0: At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, I take you to the UNESCO World Heritage Site of Petra, a city so old that it holds the hymns of nature, the antidote to our urban living. In 1845, John Bergen won the Newdigate Prize. It is awarded to students of the University of Oxford for the best English poem by an undergraduate. He wrote the poem about a city which he had actually never visited. He wrote, It seems no work of man's creative hand, by labor wrought as wavering fancy plant, but from the rock as if by magic grown, eternal, silent, beautiful, alone. Not saintly gray like many a minster fane that crowns the hill and consecrates the plain, but rose red as if the blush of dawn that first beheld them were not yet withdrawn. The hues of youth upon a brow of woe, which man deemed old 2,000 years ago. Match me such marvel, save in eastern clime, a rose-red city, half as old as time. A rose-red city, half as old as time. Bergen was not exaggerating when he called this city half as old as time. To his generation, the age of time was quite definite, for Adam was created in the year 4004 BC. So in 1845, when Bergen wrote this poem, Time had been exactly 5,849 years old. If we go back through half of it, we locate the founding of the city in 1080 BC. About 130 years later, a New Zealand-born nurse, along with her friend, was traveling through the Middle East when she met a charismatic Bedouin named Muhammad. Where are you staying? Muhammad asked. Why you not stay with me tonight? The nurse, Margaret Van Gendermalsen was smitten and convinced that he was the man for her. They married and Margaret moved in with him. But unlike most people, he did not live in a house. He lived in a cave and by no means he was unique in doing it. What Bergen described in 1845 and what Muhammad and Margaret eventually called home was the exquisite city of Petra, by far the most famous attraction in Jordan. It's a city of hand-hewn caves, temples and tombs carved from blushing pink sandstone. It was built by the Nabataeans and it has been a UNESCO World Heritage Site since 1985. At the height of its glory, it boasted of 30,000 residents. Much later, Margaret narrates the story of Abu Agroub, an old frail man who lived in a nearby cave. He played the rababa, a typical string instrument of the Bedouin. It was a goatskin over a few bits of wood about the size of a violin, which he held like a cello. It had one wire, which he caressed with a bow of oleander and horsehair. The hauntingly beautiful music echoed along the valley with his poetry of the mountains. She couldn't understand the words, but it gave her goosebumps. The keening of his rababa and the desolate sound of his poetry conjured up wind in the juniper trees and a night fire under the desert sky. About three years ago, I found myself in Petra. The old man, his rababa and his poetry were long gone but the wind which must have caressed his creased forehead touched me too. Petra is a hymn of water, wind and rock. Its existence in the harsh desert seems mythical, but it was the ingenuity of the Nabateans which made its existence possible. The area is visited by flash floods, but archaeological evidence shows that the Nabateans controlled these floods by the use of dams, cisterns and water conduits. These innovations stored water for prolonged periods of drought and enabled the city to prosper. But what really put me in awe of Petra was the landscape itself. You enter through the Sikh, which translates to Shaft, and is the narrow gorge entrance to the city of Petra. It's high and anxiety-inducing, and was formed by centuries of water flow cutting through the sandstone. Along the cliff curves are water channels. One channel was used for agriculture, the other to offer water to people and animals. As one walks further, You see the crown jewel of Petra, the treasury and your entire idea of how large the place becomes distorted. You need to crane your neck to see the place and its vastness fills you with this feeling of smallness, a sense of inadequacy. As you continue your journey into Petra, the tombs and caves can be seen far up into the mountains on each side, crowding and overlapping remains of a city that once teemed with people. As I meandered my way through this ancient city, I wondered. Were the Bedouins in awe of Petra? And if yes, how did it mould them as people? Here is where science gives us some answers. In a paper published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, researchers found that those who experienced awe showed greater generosity in economic games. It also led to an increase in ethical decision-making and compassion. An induction of awe in people led to increased helpfulness, greater ethicality and decreased entitlement. And one central theme around all these findings was that awe gave them a feeling of smallness, insignificance and something greater than the self. It struck me that some of the most hospitable people I encountered were those who lived in the toughest regions of the world, from the Himalayas in India to the desert-dwelling Bedouins of Jordan. But most importantly, they are surrounded by awe-inspiring nature, which gave them a stronger sense of compassion and generosity towards the stranger. Increasingly, I have felt that one of the catastrophic failures of modern urban life is a rupturing of our bonds with nature. Our lives have become hymns of comfort, technology and money. But maybe at least in some small measure, just like Petra, we need to also sing the hymns of water, wind and rock. What our lives need today is for the sounds of the rababa to soothe the frayed nerves of our human existence.